Well, hey, I hope you had a great 4th of July with your friends and family. It's good to be here today with you all. And uh, over the, uh, the, the 4th, Jen and I had the chance to go and catch this flick, um, The Sound of Freedom. And uh, if you, maybe some of you have seen that, or if you haven't, I normally don't do this, but I wanted to do that just before I dove into this talk. Go see it, um, support it, share it as much as you can, because the message in there is so important that needs to be heard all across the globe. Um, it's based on a true story about the horrors of the sex trafficking in- industry, specifically child uh, sex trafficking. And so uh, the movie will shake you. It will disturb you. If you have kids, it'll make you go home and squeeze them and not want to let go of them. Um, but it's, it's such an important thing that uh, this, this movie has had a lot of resistance. Uh, it's told that it should have been released five years ago, but because of political powers and just tech giants kind of tried to shut it up. But the faith community didn't want it to shut up and kept making it louder And it topped Indiana Jones this weekend, which is pretty incredible. Um, So go see it. Um, it, it, It's just, it's sobering, right, to think that the truth that there's more people today, today, on the planet in slavery than there's ever been in the history of the world. It's just hard for our minds to even grasp. Um, But we just need to keep doing our part to let that known. That's why we support uh, ministries like our Sparrow Freedom Project that helps uh, women get out of stuff trafficking. That's why I'm thankful that we're part of the Sun Network because we have missionaries literally all around the globe that we're not allowed to even talk about because of things that they're doing that are in secret to try to help people get out of this whore that's in our world. And so I just got to keep being a voice. So go see the movie. Um, around this time of year... Uh, Every year, it's, it's crazy. Up north in the town of Eau Claire, Michigan, at the Tremendous Fruit Farm. See what they did there? I like that. Uh, there is the International Cherry Pit Spitting Championship. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, it's the things in Michigan. You, just, you only get in Michigan. And so much so, I mean, it's been covered by ESPN. They've sent ESPN crews out there. That happens every year, and um, the guy by the name, we'll put him up here, by the name of Rick the Pellet Gun Cruz, or Cross, held the record at 72 feet 7 inches. Talk about spitting a cherry. I mean, that's pretty intense, right? But notice I said held. Well, he wanted it to be passed on to his family, so he trained his son, who now holds the record, young Gun Cruz, with 100 feet 4 inches. Talk about a proud moment for a father, you know? <laughs> Son, you're the world's greatest cherry pitter spitter on the planet. I mean, like, unbelievable. Why am I talking about that? Because today we're in our series, One Hit Wonder, and we're going to be talking about a one spit wonder, if you will, because we're going to be talking about a time where Jesus one time used his spit that just rippled in so many amazing ways. And it's not about how far he spit. It was more about what he did with his spit and when he did it and why he did it. And there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from it. And so here we are today in 2023 still talking about this story, this real event that, that took place. Talk about spit traveling far because uh, we're still talking about it. And so here's the goal. I, I want to give us four one thing statements that we can learn from and hang on to in this story. 
And no matter where you're at on your journey, whether you're a Jesus follower or not today, my hope is that all of us can lean into some of these truths and we'll let it affect us, we'll let it apply and hit our lives in really specific ways, okay? So that's the goal, but before we dive in, I just want to pray for us and then we'll dive in. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for getting us here. Thank you for your word that, is, that you've preserved for us that people have tried to just erase or burn or get out of the world, and yet it always stands and it always will until you come back. And so thank you for it. God, I just ask that your word would shape us. God, that we would be convicted by it, that we'd be challenged by it, that we'd be just um, overwhelmed by it, and just, um, just move it, just moving us, God, through it. Uh, may your word be the loudest thing in the room today as uh, I communicate. I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, so go ahead and open up to the book of John. We'll be in chapter 9. The book of John is one of the four biographies of Jesus, the historical facts of the life of Jesus. John chapter 9, grab that journal. Now, we're not quite sure, but most scholars are in agreement that at this point, Jesus is walking out of the temple. And this is during the Jewish festival of um, uh, the festival of uh, what is the festival? The, the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles is what I was trying to say. The Feast of Tabernacles, this festival is happening during this time frame. And as he's walking out of the temple, he notices a blind man sitting there by the gate that, is, um, that has been blind from birth. And instead of just passing by him, he stops and engages uh, with this blind man. The disciples stop and engage as well with this blind man. And so here's where the story picks up. John chapter nine, starting in verse one, it says, and as he passed by, He saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And in this moment, I I couldn't help but think, I was starting to think to myself, I wonder if Jesus started to feel some of the feelings that I have felt sometimes with my children where they kind of ask some awkward questions in public. You know, like when you're in line at a shopping store and they're like, hey, dad, like, what's wrong with those, with that guy's legs? And you're like, oh, geez. Or, or you're in the elevator and they're like, uh, dad, what's wrong with the lady's face? And they call out someone's disability and it makes it to be a very long elevator ride. You've ever been there before? You just want to smack your kid upside the head and be like, shut up, please don't say that. You know, I, I, I wonder if Jesus in this moment was like, hey guys, he's blind. He's not deaf. Okay. Like give the guy a break. Okay. Guys never seen the sunset, never seen the green of the grass, never seen the blue of the sky, never seen his loved ones. He's never even seen the the image of his own face. And now you're just asking him the question, like, what did he do to deserve this? You know, was it, was it something that he did in the womb? Because in Jewish uh, tradition, they believe that, you know, the child could sin in the womb or was it something that his parents did? And so Jesus responds uh, to his disciples and he says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Say that with me. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work as long as I am in the world. I am the light of the world. So what does this show us? This shows us one of the things that we do know for sure is that what he's talking about here in this situation is that the suffering is not about sin. The issue is not sin. It's a suffering issue. It's not a sin issue here. It's a suffering issue in this specific instance. But we know as human beings that we all experience different suffering. And a lot of times the suffering that we face is because of our sin, because of our mistakes, or the mistakes or flaws of other people. We live in a fallen, broken world. 
And so a lot of times the suffering that we are facing is not God trying to punish us. It's the effects of the consequences of our actions. But in some instances, what this shows us that we have to receive and, and, and understand is that one thing we see if you're taking notes is this, is that God allows suffering. And sometimes when we hear that, we might not like that. That might frustrate us. That might make us not want to follow God. That might, that's why maybe you're not a Jesus follower, because you're frustrated by that. That angers you. That makes you want to put a fist up at God. And, you know, this is a whole other message about why God allows suffering, but just could spend two messages on that. But just in this little section of this talk, I, I just want to say as I've grappled with that in my life, and as I've talked with many other people that have gone through different sufferings, what's the alternative? I mean, if you get mad at God because of the suffering that you are facing, that he allowed, whether it was sin or not sin, where does that leave you? Your world's crumbling, and now you're on shaky ground. When our world is crumbling and we're feeling that suffering, we need to force ourselves to stand on the rock of ages because he's still in control, he's still Savior, he's still all-knowing, and he's still sovereign. We've got to lean into it. And we also have to remember, and if you're going through some suffering right now in your life, always remember this truth, that in the midst of suffering, God always has a purpose. In the midst of suffering, he always has a purpose, and sometimes we get to see what the purpose is on this side of heaven, but sometimes we don't. It's on the other side of heaven. But there's always a purpose. And one of those purposes is is that he might be equipping, equipping you and strengthening you and shaping you to help someone else as they're going to have to walk through the whatever suffering that they're facing. I thought it was interesting today. The verse of the day popped up, Romans 8, 18. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Let's continue. It keeps going. It says, having said these things, as he's talking to his disciples and they're talking to this blind man, it says that Jesus spit on the ground. There it is. There's that spit. He spit on the ground and he made mud with his saliva. He's just making some mud pie right there. I'm going to ask London, my daughter, to come up and be my assistant. Let's give it up for London. Gene, the machine. Here, grab that microphone, baby. Yep, it's on. Come over here. Come on over here. London, say hi to everyone. Hi. London, isn't it strange that Jesus would, like, spit on the ground and make, like, a mud soupy pie with a spit? Yes. Yeah, it is kind of weird. And then do you know what he does next? Yes. You do know, don't you? Let's put it up. It says, what does he do next? Next slide. It says, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, didn't he, sweetheart, didn't he? Yes, he sure did, baby. Just anointed it with eyes. Keep those eyes shut. We, and so we were practicing this. at the. I love my job, by the way. This is amazing. <laughs> We are practicing this at the house. And I said, you sure you don't want to practice it one more time? We can just keep doing it and doing it. And she's like, so like, how are you feeling right now, London? Disgusting. Yeah, disgusting. I wonder what he was feeling. Like, did he know it was coming? Like, did he know? Did he hear Jesus like going, you know, like, you know, did he, did he hear it? And, and of course, honey, this isn't my spit. I would never do that. I had your mom use her spit. Okay. So, you know, I feel like we, it's almost like a mud. Listen, this is just like a, it's like a facial. Just think of it like a facial, sweetheart. Okay, okay, all right. So, so you wonder what the crowd was thinking. Like, what was going on? This is strange. Is Jesus, is Jesus messing with this guy? Like, what's going on? Then the scripture continues. 
And it says, now I want you to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so you got to think about it. This poor guy, you know, he's blind. Now he's got mud on his face. He's like a mud-eyed billboard walking around. At this time, it's the feast of festivals happening right now in the, of, of the tabernacle. So it's crowded. So he's got to figure out how to get to the pool. I, I got to imagine it was, if people had phones back then, it would go viral. Like, like literally, like maybe even right now, like this could get, like, this could get viral, you know. There we go. Okay, there you go. We'll, we'll get this viral. And, and then he has to get his way all the way to the pool. And then it says, next it says, so he went and he washed in the pool of Siloam. So let me go ahead and get you cleaned up. Let me, let me, let me wash you up a little bit, sweetheart. Hey, you know, I got to wash you. I'm going to wash you. So then he goes and he dips his face. <laughs> I got you good this service. There you go, baby. Oh, oh, to be a pastor's kid, you know, it's always a joy. Okay, so they washed him up, and you got to imagine, so he gets all cleaned up, he's washing his eyes in there, and then what does it say? It says that he came back seeing, and you got to imagine this moment, right? Like, as he's washing the mud off of his face, you got to imagine darkness his whole life. And then maybe even he saw the reflection of his face for the first time, you know? Just how awesome was that, right? And, and he, got, he had to be pretty excited, right? You think so? Like, what do you do when you get excited? Do a cartwheel. You do cartwheels? Yeah. Can okay. I do one now? Sure. You can, you can do a cartwheel right now if that's what you like to do, sweetheart. Okay. Let's give it up for London. Unbelievable, this, this man, blind from birth, gets mud on his face. He was literally a mud billboard that then turned into a grace billboard walking back. From a mud billboard to literally a grace billboard. And here's the deal. We don't know why Jesus did it that way. There's been many speculations of like, why did he do it that way? Like, why did he spit on the ground and make the mud? And my favorite option is the fact is when you remember how when God created us as humans, it says that God created us out of the dust. And so here's God in the flesh. And just the idea of him like creating these 20-20 vision eyeballs and putting them in this guy's eyes. I mean, just unbelievable. I, I, I believe they were 20-20. I don't know. But that, you know, that's what I think. But what does this show us? Again, this shows us a great, great truth that we serve a God. Jesus is the God of miracles and that Jesus is the Messiah. If you're taking notes, one thing we see is that Jesus is the Messiah. Say that with me. Jesus is the Messiah. At this point in the history of the world, there was never a recorded instance of someone who was blind from birth regaining their sight. But Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be the one to do it. And it was prophesied 700 years prior to that. The prophet Isaiah told us of this in Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lamb man will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing, for waters will break out in the wilderness and streams and the desert. And so Jesus fulfilled that, not to mention over 300 more prophecies that he fulfilled specifically showing that Jesus truly is the Messiah. Jesus truly is the one who can heal, who can make the blind see, who can make a baby who is not breathing come back to life like we witnessed in the baptism story. Jesus is truly the Messiah. He truly, truly is the Messiah. So you'd think people would see this and be like, okay, of course. I mean, I mean, they're seeing something that they couldn't believe, and you'd think that in that moment they would just believe, well, 
Think again, the story continues. Then it says this. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some says, it is he. Others says, no, but it is like him. So they're like, there's no way. Like, how is this happening? Like, who is this guy? Then it continues. It says, he kept saying, no, 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 I am the man. I am he. Like, look at me. I'm the same guy. He said, then how were your eyes opened? They were asking the wrong question, not how were your eyes opened, but who opened your eyes? Then it continues. It says, the man called Jesus, made mud, and he anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. And so I went and I washed and I received my sight. And then they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I'm a blind, I was a blind guy. How the heck am I supposed to know? Like he could see another cruel question, the poor blind guy, right? How am I supposed to know? And then it continues and says, so then they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And it continues. So some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? They were getting caught in their pharisaical, legalistic views of the Sabbath. And then it continues and says, and there was this division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. It continues, he's a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. I mean, this poor guy. I mean, think about it. You've been blind from birth. All you've seen is darkness, and now you're seeing everything clear as day. This should be a celebration, and now he's going through an investigation. And not to mention, then they take it a step forward, and they call in his parents. Check it out. Then it says this. Until they had called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Well, then how does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son. Go back. We know this is our son and that he was born blind. Now go. Um, But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. Is You know, he's of age. Ask him. And so he will speak for himself. And so his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said he is of age. Ask him. He's of age. Ask him. Now, not to, like, get so hard on these parents, but what's up with the parents here? I mean, here is this guy, lonely, striving for survival, begging at the city gate. Where are the parents? Then, then, then you think about your son who was born blind can now see. He can literally look at you in the face. And, and, and you're not willing to stand by your son because you don't want to be de-synagogued? because you don't want to be ostracized by society or culture because it's being associated with Jesus. They were staying neutral with their son right there. I mean, this is probably not what this blind man now can see was picturing how his parents would act, which then brought up this thought. I think brings up another thing that we see here in this story is this. is One thing we see is this, is that being neutral with the truth is not siding with the truth. Being neutral with the truth is not siding with the truth. Being neutral means being impartial. It means not siding with either side. And so um, 
I want to have a conversation, an in-house conversation with every Jesus follower in the room. So if you're visiting or you're not a Jesus follower, just go through some of your emails right now, okay? I just want to talk to a, a Jesus followers right now. This idea of us when it comes to God's truth and us being neutral with the truth is such a danger. And I, I want to ask that all of us as Jesus followers would take a couple phrases out of our vocabulary. When it comes to speaking of God's truth, can we please take this out of our vocabulary? Can we take the statement of, well, you do you? You, you do you. Or this phrase, to each their own. To each their own. Like, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. Like, those statements, as Jesus followers, when it comes to God's truth, are the most fearful, selfish, unloving, damning statements that we could ever say to someone. Now listen, when it comes to food and hobby and activities, yeah, we can use that. Like, for instance, if you want to take your hard-earned vacation time and go grab a tent and go up north and lay on the hard ground and have water dripping through your tent and get mosquitoes all over the place, and you do you, that's fine. (laughs) To each their own. I will gladly go to my Airbnb or hotel and pillow top mattress, AC, and sit at the pool and drink pina coladas. Virgin, of course, right? Okay, and just, you know, you do you, I do me, to each their own. Got it. But when it comes to God's truth, let's take that out of our vocabulary. Let's take that out of our vocabulary. Let's, in love and in grace and in truth, just say, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. You're being deceived. The world is trying to manipulate you. It's creeping in. You're going the wrong way. And there's so many instances that I could share. And the one that popped in my brain, especially post-COVID, is this idea, Jesus follower, that you don't need the local church and you can still be a Jesus follower. This idea that, you know, I can be a Jesus follower, but I don't need the local church is a lie from the pit of hell. And I say that in love. And I say that not in terms of wanting you to come to Miles City. I'm just saying I want you to go to a church and call it your home. Jesus died for the local church. He talks about that we are the body of Christ and every part of the body is essential. He talks about do not neglect the gathering. I hear sometimes this idea that, well, we're just gonna have a Bible study at our house. Listen, a Bible study at your house is not church. Let me say that again very clearly. A Bible study in your home is not the same as church. A Bible study in your home can be a part of a church, but it's not church. A Bible study in your home, if it's intentional, can become a church if that's what you're trying to do. Guess what? This church came out of a Bible study in a home. And most every church that you probably see started that way. And I have many friends that have house churches, that, but they don't just stay and have a Bible study and that's it. No, there's structure, there's leadership, there's eldership, there's order, there's the sacraments, there's everything that Jesus outlined for us to actually do church. But this also shows us that just showing up to church And checking in and checking out is also not being a part of a church. And so to be neutral with church, you know, sometimes if you just show up 
what you become is not necessarily a part of a local church. Sometimes you're just a spectator, which then becomes a skeptic, where it's like, I like this message, or I don't like this message, or I like that music, or I don't like this message. I like that they have that program, but they don't have that program, so let's just go to another church. Don't be neutral, Jesus follower. Find a local church and get involved and call it your home. Be involved with the people. Let them sharpen you. Get involved in the investment of what the church is about. It's so, so vital. And I say this because it breaks my heart because I see so many Jesus followers that I love and know that just are buying into the lie that they don't need it. Here's the best analogy that I've ever heard about it. A Jesus follower without a local church is like a fish without water. You're literally a fish without water and you're flapping on the shore and you're suffocating and you don't even realize it, but the enemy loves every stinking bit of it. Don't suffocate. You need the local church and the local church needs you. Don't be neutral. Either be in or be out and find that local church. Continues in verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I love this, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Come on, let's say it together. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, but now I see. I love it. This blind guy, you know, he didn't understand all their religion. He's like, I know you got these Sabbath laws. I think there's like 39 different categories that you guys are going in and out of. I don't know. But all as I know is I was blind. And this guy, Jesus, came and he put mud on my eyes and he told me to wash it off. And now I see. And here's another thing that I think that just points out to us. And we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, but let's put it up. One thing we see is don't give up on what you do know for what you don't know. You know, sometimes even when we talk about the problem of suffering or the problem of evil, and sometimes it's hard to figure out, or there's different things that we don't have all of it figured out, and it takes faith, and it can be very difficult. But don't allow the things that you don't know rob you from what you do know. Don't let it deflate you from what you do know. Hold on to the truth of what you do know. Then... There he is, still in investigation. Let's finish up the story. He says, they said to him, well, what did he do to you? Like, how did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already, and you won't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I love this guy. It's like, what, are you in? You want to be a part? You know, I love it. It goes on. And they were saying to him, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God had spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why is this an amazing thing that you do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? Then he goes on. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. I mean, here he is now trying to teach them what they already know. And obviously that was starting to razzle them up. Then it says this. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And you would teach us? Look at the pride. And then they cast him out. You would teach us? What a bunch of whiners. 
<laughs> they, they started attacking him because they had nothing to attack on the issue. And so they kicked him out. He was de-synagogued, but you could tell he didn't really care. And then check this out. I love this. So then Jesus, oh, this is so good. Catch this. Then Jesus heard that they had cast him out. So he heard that, man, there hasn't been a celebration of this guy's miracle of his life. He's just being investigated. And then it says that Jesus, and having, say it with me, found him. I mean, Jesus is a busy guy. He had a lot of things going on. But he went back to him, and he found him, and he sought him out, and he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He asked the blind now, man that can see, do you believe in the Son of Man? And then check this out, it says. And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you, he said. And then he said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. Will you say that with me? Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. One more time. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And the reason why he could say, Lord, I believe, is because this blind man, now can see man, got something that the Pharisees didn't get. Check out what it says next. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Reminding us of a very, very important truth that the blind man now can see man understood and got that they didn't get because of their pride. And that's this, is that one thing we see is that we must become a beggar to become a believer. We must become beggars in order to become true believers. And I'm not talking about begging for money. I'm not talking about begging for food. I'm not talking about begging for clothes. I'm talking about begging for salvation. You see, every single one of us in this room We've got mud all over us. It's all over. It's filthy, it's dirty, it's disgusting, it's gross. And there's nothing we can do on our own to get this mud off of us. And that's the symbol of sin. All of our flaws, all of our weaknesses, all of our mistakes, all of our errors. And because of it, it's causing us to be separated from God and it's death. But God loved you. And God loved me so much that he sent Jesus here who we're talking about. And that's why he came. And that's why he lived a perfect life. And that's why he died on a cross. Why did he die? So that he could pay the penalty for your sin and my sin so that you didn't have to. And then he proved that he was God. And three days later, he rose from the dead showing that he truly is the Messiah, the long awaited savior who can wash away and save and wash away the sins of the world. But you gotta get to the point of desperation to realize that this is you without Jesus. Have you ever gotten to that point? That you're covered in mud, covered in sin without Jesus. You have to get to the point of desperation. I'm a beggar. It scares me to think of those that might just have nonchalantly believed 
Yeah, I guess I'll just believe to get out of jail free card. Hmm. I remember getting to the point in my life where I was so desperate realizing, oh my goodness, I need to be cleaned. I need you, Jesus, to wash me. And it was at that point where I lowered my pride to realize, okay, now I can truly say, Lord, I believe. Have you become a beggar spiritually to truly believe in Jesus? Normally at this time, I, I say, well, if you wanna receive Jesus and believe in him and with your heart, it's not by your works, it's by your faith. And I'm gonna have everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. But today, because of the story, I'm gonna have everyone keep your heads up and keep your eyes open. Keep your heads up and keep your eyes open. And if you wanna put your faith in Jesus, I'm gonna lead you through a real conversation between you and Jesus. I'm gonna ask all of you that are believers that have gotten to the point in your life where you're like, yeah, I was a beggar and now I am a believer. I want you to join in that prayer and I want you to speak the gospel again over your life because it's healthy to do it. But for those of you, maybe you've never done that and today can be the first time where you declare I'm a beggar and I believe in Jesus and I want him to save me. If that's you, then join with us as we repeat this prayer out loud with all we got. Just say, Lord, I believe. Come on, Lord, I believe. I'm a beggar. I'm a beggar. I'm desperate for you. I need to be saved. I'm a sinner. Need of saving. Forgive me, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. Right now I receive you, Jesus. And make you the king of my life. You're the king of my life. For those of you that are already believers, doesn't it feel good to just say it again? What a gift that we've been saved by his grace, that he's cleaned us up. And for those of you that said it for the first time, I hope you're feeling the freedom that only can come from Jesus. I hope you're feeling that and know the truth that now you will no longer perish in everlasting pain apart from your God and creator, but now you'll have everlasting life. It's guaranteed because of your acknowledgement of you being a beggar and now believing that Jesus is the one to save you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for saving us and for making a way to clean off all the mud of our lives, for spiritually opening our eyes so that we can see. We're so grateful and so in awe by that. We love you and we pray this in the power of your son's name, amen. Can we give it up for those who put their faith in Jesus for the first time today, amen. If you made that decision for the first time, I wanna encourage you to tell someone There'll be folks out at our connect table. You can grab any of us. We just want to celebrate with you. Or you could text the word there. We just want to celebrate, answer any questions that you might have.